0: The way we've designed our strategy and the way I run the business is that we need to create sustainable value and we need to do something good for the communities and the markets that we operate in. And that is the best way to create shareholder value.
1: Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dissecting the pulse of business technology and media in Asia. South Asia, including India, has been an interesting region in the past few years, coming online with e-commerce, logistics and consumer internet. Today, I have Biaka Mikkelsen, CEO and founder of Daras, an e-commerce technology marketplace recently acquired by Alibaba Group from China. Hi, Biaka. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. So this is the first time you're coming on the show. So I always want to get to know my guests better. I want to start off with my first question. How did you start your career?
0: Thanks for that. I started my career in... my grandmother would call the Danish pride. I'm from Denmark. So uh, the biggest company in Denmark is Maersk, the international shipping company. And I started there as a management trainee. I did that for about two years and had a fantastic experience moving around in different parts of the business. But it's also a very corporate company with a very, very long career ladder. And I was looking for something with a bit more Excitement and and speed, so I decided to to move to London and try my luck as an investment banker. I joined Goldman Sachs in the early part of my career, and and I did that for about six years. Had a fantastic experience, met a lot of um, very interesting people and very interesting clients, and, and definitely learned a lot. But at some point, I also found myself lacking some purpose I would say in my life and I started looking for an opportunity which was really focused on building purpose and and making a meaningful difference to people's lives and and that was when I that was when I I started browsing around but if if you had told me back then that I would move to Karachi and And start an e-commerce business based out of Pakistan, I would have probably politely told you you were out of your mind. But nevertheless, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) I found this opportunity and I got to know about the market. And I found it so incredibly interesting that, that I decided to move to Karachi. And despite... I would say all the challenges and you know and issues that that we were facing in the in the early years I really saw a tremendous opportunity to to transform this business into a regional powerhouse and build an, an integrated regional digital ecosystem for for South Asia and now it's it's been about 6 years and we've come a long way we we we've, we've built our ecosystem we've started on the journey we have about 35 million users across our platforms on a monthly basis but but still just at the beginning of our journey
1: So we're going to get to Dara's very soon. But I want to ask, what are the key lessons you have learned throughout your own career journey? And can you share with my audience out there? Absolutely. I love that question. So I think
0: the first thing
1: that I would highlight is that before
0: embarking anything which is outside of your comfort zone, you really need to understand the market. And for me, uh, when I joined the Raz, that meant that, that the first year I really spent traveling around the region in the borders between China and Afghanistan and, and Pakistan and across Bangladesh and, and Myanmar to get to know the wonderful people of, of South Asia and really get a, an understanding and appreciation of the unique culture and the opportunity to also understand how is it that we can improve people's lives. Because for sure, if I had taken my perception of e-commerce as I know it from Denmark or from London and tried to apply it in South Asia, we would have failed for sure, right? We, we really had to understand the markets first and then build a localized go-to-market approach and then build the business. So I think the first thing that I would mention is just really make sure you understand the market and the, and the target audience. The second thing I would mention is you need to find meaning in what you do and that was also the reason why i decided on this big career shift in the in the first place and because in the end that's what gets me up in the morning it's about this bigger purpose that we have an opportunity to really change lives that's fantastic and that's what drives me that's what drives the team and what makes me excited to you know to go to work every single day and then thirdly i would say that A big lesson for me, and that's been a journey, not something that I have always known, but being a leader is not always about being the smartest person in the room. I think that's a very, very important lesson because in the early days of of the RAS, I knew more things than most people. Uh, And usually in the meetings, I could come in and I could use my experience and my knowledge to, to help structure the solutions and actually tell people how we should do things. I can't do that anymore. Every single person in in my team is much better at their job than I am and and that I could ever be. So, my job as a leader is much more about empowering these smart and and amazing people, making sure that they can perform 100% and that they're motivated and they have the support to do the best that they can do. So, I would say these are the three lessons that I would highlight.
1: Thank you for sharing these important career lessons. And this comes to the main subject of the day, which is about DARAs and also how the South Asia ecosystem is actually evolving. So I want to first just give a very quick introduction. Dara's is a South Asian e-commerce marketplace wholly now owned by the Alibaba Group from China. I I want to ask you because you have the founder lens of building this e-commerce marketplace and evolve it to the state which it is today. Can you share with my audience what is the mission and vision of Dara's in the past and maybe how it's evolved to today?
0: Our mission statement or purpose statement is to uplift communities through the power of commerce. So that's really the heart of our business to uplift communities. And for me, it's not like people think running your business for for profits and shareholder value, and then there's running your business for charity. But for me, these are not two different things. The way we've designed our strategy and the way I run the business is that we need to create sustainable value and we need to do something good for the communities and the markets that we operate in. And that is the best way to create shareholder value. So we really always try to look at what are we doing to make a meaningful difference to people's lives and uplift these communities? Uh, how can we trigger the economic growth that, that you know, is, is inherent potentially in our region? So that's the way we think about it. And that's our, that's our purpose, to uplift communities. And with regards to our vision, that's that's a bit more specific. It is to be a champion of South Asia that serves the needs of 100 million customers and businesses by 2030. And how are we going to get to 100 million customers, right? That's a big number. But when you look at our markets, there's about half a billion people. So it means that approximately one in five people need to be using our services on a regular basis in five to 10 years from now. And I think when I look at the markets, it's really, it's a fantastic time, right? So I've never seen the stars being aligned in the way that they are now to really have this inflection point and and start going through the same journey that Southeast Asia has been through over the last 10 years. And then when you combine that with the way that our business is positioned, we have the local market knowledge, we have the, you know, a strong market position, we have fantastic technology, and we have the power of Alibaba behind us as a shareholder. It's our job to really make sure that we enable this opportunity and, and capture the growth and reach our 100 million customers.
1: I'm really curious about the early days of Dara's. What does it look like before it evolved to this technology company that focuses on e-commerce, logistics, payment infrastructure, and financial services? I know it started originally from Karachi, but it also goes towards the other countries around the region, for example, Bangladesh. Can you talk a little bit more about that evolution? Absolutely.
0: I think I can honestly say that if I said that it was easy in the early days, I would be lying. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, you know building a business in in these early stage markets and doing something that hasn't been done before comes with a whole range of challenges that we had to navigate and, and work through and i think one of the big lessons that i learned early the hard way was that at first i tried to do everything everywhere and that that doesn't work so i pretty quickly realized that we need to get one market right first right and we need to build a strong core in one market. So I decided to, f- to focus on Pakistan. I, I lived there for-, for a number of years in the early years of Taras and really started to just get the basics right, get the right team on board, you know, put the right processes in place, building department by department, the logistics, warehousing, customer service, marketing, our category management teams, and getting that structure right. And then once we had that in place, we started going to the other markets. In first place, we went to Bangladesh, then we went to Myanmar. And then in in 2016, we bought a business that had a similar business model. And with that acquisition, we also entered into uh, Sri Lanka and uh, and Nepal. So it, it, it was a journey. It was definitely not easy, but those years we put the foundations in place and that's set us up for the journey that we've been on.
1: I guess, let me double click a little bit to build logistics into countries like Nepal, Myanmar, Sri Lanka are extremely difficult because there's still a lot of building infrastructure happening. How did you all actually um, go deep into these countries and essentially get the people first to also adopt e-commerce and as they build the roads and the paths so that the logistics can actually flow these goods into the hands of your customers?
0: So I think it's important to say that when we started, it's not like there were no logistics. There were already third-party logistics companies that were operating, and it was possible for you to, to go to a kind of a DHL equivalent and say, I need this parcel shipped here. But the problem with the ecosystem was that it was not digitalized and it was not integrated. So if we went to a, a third-party logistics provider with a parcel and said, hey, please deliver this to our customer in the other end of the country, then the customer would not know where the package is. And they would come to us and say, hey... What's the status of my package? And we would say, we don't know (laughs) because uh, somebody else has it. And that doesn't work when you are trying to build an e-commerce business. You You need to have everything integrated and digitalized so you can always check it and give visibility to the customers. And that was actually what triggered the need to build our own logistics infrastructure. So we started on this journey with the focus, not so much to build, I would say, uh, a logistics business that would replace the existing infrastructure in the the countries, but really to build something that would set a new standard for integrated and digitalized logistics, both to serve our own business, but also to educate the other players in the market and say, this is the standard of what you need to build. And we operate a very competitive marketplace, so if you can provide me with a service that is as cheap and as fast as we can build ourselves, then I will give you parcels. And um, that was the philosophy. And of course, that was a lot of hard work to, to, to get that set up. But I think it was one of the best decisions we've ever made because it has allowed us to, of course, uh, be more cost efficient and have higher success rates in, in terms of deliveries. But more importantly, it's, it's uh, dramatically improved the customer experience with faster deliveries and just more visibility and, uh, and more control over the, the delivery journey.
1: I think China has expanded internationally through its One Belt, One Road initiative to build out infrastructure. And I think South Asia is one of the key areas of growth for them. That mirrors very similarly to Dara's being acquired by Alibaba. So I want to ask can you share the story of how Dara's was eventually acquired by Alibaba Holdings? And what are the key takeaways from the acquisition itself?
0: So I always knew when we started this journey that at some point we would get to a discussion about who is our right long-term strategic partner, who can not just provide the funding that we need to build the ecosystem, but who can also bring knowledge and tech to the table, something that can accelerate our, our journey. So when I started speaking to Alibaba, that was in about 2017, I thought that was probably too early, actually, for for what I had expected. But Alibaba, the year before, they bought Lazada, which is one of the largest e-commerce businesses in South Asia and a fantastic business as as well. And they had spent a lot of time and and resources to rebuild the entire tech stack for Lazada and also bring a lot of new knowledge from the Alibaba ecosystem into the South Asian business. And at the same time, Alibaba, they were really are still very focused on their globalization strategy of, of reaching 2 billion global consumers. So when you put all this together that they loved our markets, it's it's a huge potential with 500 million people. They're not going to find 2 billion consumers in, in China, so they have to go somewhere. My pitch to them was always from the start, I can give you 100 million. I can give you about 5% of your target which is not huge, but it's also not insignificant in the context of, of their globalization strategy. They had the technology that they had built for Lazada and, and they liked the team and they like the business. And also we need to remember, not everybody knows that actually three out of our five markets has a land border with China. So there's a very strong synergy just with the Chinese business there from a supply chain perspective. So we started those discussions in about 2017 and we ended up bringing Alibaba in as a shareholder in May 2018. And that's been just a fantastic journey ever since. So incredible experience
1: working with Alibaba. So what are the key takeaways from the acquisition process itself? What have you learned through this experience
0: so the, the acquisition process itself, of course, was, I think, an interesting process because we Alibaba is, is a listed company, and, uh, and that meant that effectively, we also need to comply with everything that it takes to be a SOX-compliant company listed in, listed in New York. So the transaction itself was a major learning process. And also, I would say, credibility to to our processes and, and the way that we operate our business. But I think the, the biggest learnings have actually come after the acquisition, where we, we decided to focus on three main synergies with Alibaba. Number one is tech, number two is knowledge, and number three is supply chain. So if I think about the journey afterwards, we spent the first year really just focusing on tech, just rebuilding the entire tech stack in the business and taking the best solutions that they had developed for their other global businesses and putting that into the RAS. And that was of course a, a tough process from a business perspective, a fantastic upgrade to the entire platform. And then the second year we spent absorbing knowledge. That was about taking all the knowledge from their other, both from China, but also from our our good friends and colleagues at Lazada and learning how to operate this e-commerce platform technology that we had now built over the last year. And, And not only for us, but also for our sellers, because what changed as part of that tech upgrade is that we made the platform much more focused on just empowering the sellers to operate and build their business independently through our technology solutions. So the second year was about just transferring and, and absorbing a huge amount of knowledge. And then the third year, we really focused on building the regional domain expertise that you need to drive Daras forward towards our, our vision and reach 100 million customers. And just having a clear, independent strategy for the RAS, because even though we have Alibaba as a shareholder, we always agreed, the RAS is the rise, our markets are unique, and we need to have our own strategy and our own platform to capture those markets. So the third year was about building that domain expertise for data science, algorithms, algorithm trainers, product, tech, marketing solutions, affiliates, you know, logistics software, all these things where you just need to have fantastic domain expertise. And then I would say the the fourth year, which is where we are now, is really about integrating the international supply chain. So we're focusing a lot on integrating with Alibaba's first-mile operations in, in, in China through their logistics business there. So whatever products are coming through some sort of a cross-border supply chain, we leverage the global ecosystem that we have access to. And once that is done, you know, hopefully over the next three to six months, then it's really a game of scale. Right? And what we have built now is a platform that, for me, the biggest value of what we have built over the last three, four years is, of course, that it has a lot of resulted in a lot of growth and success stories in our markets. But the most interesting part is actually the scalability that we have built for the future. We've built a platform that is future ready and that is able to scale 20, 50 times over the next five to 10 years if we have to.
1: You mentioned very early that you're getting one out of five for your consumer acquisition. So I presume that there's another four-fifths, which is 400 million of that population that you want to grab. And given that South Asia is also relatively a younger population, which means that it's also poised to grow pretty large, that maybe it will hit a billion at some point. So I'm pretty curious, what is the current evolution of Duras as part of Alibaba's growth strategy in the South Asia region? And just to tip it off, What does great look like for Dara's in a decade's time? So I would say
0: the the one in five is our target. We're We're not quite there yet, but I think we could get there in the not so distant future. So first of all, great looks for me as achieving our vision. We need to get to 100 million active customers on the platform. But more importantly, we need to really become an integrated part of people's lives. And I'll share a story that I find quite interesting. It was from one of the, I think it was the first Black Friday or Eleven Eleven campaign we did in, in Pakistan. Uh, and I was in the lift in Karachi in our office, and I met a Chinese guy who was on his way to work. He was working there in Karachi as well, and we started talking about Eleven Eleven. And then I asked him, "So are you going to buy something on Taobao for Eleven And he told me, "But I buy something on Taobao every day," and, and that just made me realize that, wow. This is the extent you can actually go to. If you provide a service that is so relevant to people's daily lives, that is actually our opportunity. It's not so much about capturing 100 million consumers and having them place two or three orders in a year, but it's really about becoming so relevant to people through our different solutions. And that means a lot of new solutions as well. Right now we focus on our our core e-commerce logistics, payments and financial services, but it can also mean that we need to expand our food delivery business. We have a, a very good food delivery business in Bangladesh that also has a lot of potential. We've started doing streaming content. so we we just had a fantastic partnership with the t twenty World Cup for cricket, where we launched a solution in in Pakistan that people can watch their cricket on their app for free for the first time in Pakistan. and that had a huge success. We had millions of people who who started watching cricket online suddenly. So becoming a streaming service could also be part of it and then expanding expanding our range of financial products, really to help both our customers and, and our sellers in order to become more relevant. So of course, what does great look like? Of course, 100 million uh, active customers is part of it. But, but more importantly, it's really about becoming so relevant to people that, that they use our services on a daily basis.
1: Does that mean Dara's will become a super app too?
0: I, I'm always a bit cautious about calling us a super app because we don't want to do everything. We want to do a few things right. Uh, and I think it's much more important uh, also looking at some of the, quote unquote, super apps that I see around the world. Um, I think people have a tendency to spread themselves too thinly, too quickly. Uh, so for us, it's much more about building verticals and really making sure that what we build, we build right. And if, we will still expand our service offering for sure, but we don't want to do everything. We want to do a few things and do them really well.
1: So that comes to another part of the topic that we want to talk about is the growing market of South Asia. But the first part I want to ask is, can you define what constitutes the South Asia region and what are the key markets in this region?
0: For us, South Asia means our our core markets, which is uh, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and and Nepal. We're not in India. We're not be in India because we want to leverage the markets where we have our our market leading position and where we see the biggest opportunity for the RAS to grow. So for us, that's the region. And that's a population of about half a billion people with as I said in the beginning, fantastic growth potential, and I really think through my six years of, of working in this region that this is the time for that region to shine. The stars are aligned, and of course, the the economic outlook is is looking very strong. And even after COVID, the recovery has been strong. and and for example, Bangladesh is still forecasted to grow between 7 and 8% GDP, which is one of the fastest growing large economies in the world, but also in terms of political stability. And when you look at both political stability and the business environment, I always look at the World Bank ease of doing business rankings. So you can see our markets are climbing quite quickly up the ladder and absolutely it's not easy business environments, but at the same time, we're actually better than, than many of the other large emerging economies around the world. Uh, and then it's around foreign investment It is very, very important. And to just give a bit of context, we've seen more foreign investment into a market like Pakistan in the last six months than we've seen over the last five years combined. So there's really a huge amount of capital inflow and excitement about the market opportunity. So when I think about the South Asia region, it's, it's really about our core markets, excluding India, uh, and the prospects are very attractive.
1: How should investors and industry watchers view South Asia as an emerging digital economy market, excluding India?
0: I think it's about finding the right time to invest. Nobody questions that this is a big and very attractive long-term market. The big question is, is this the right time to go in and actually get exposure to this market? That's what I think is on most people's minds. The opportunity is is clear. It's, It's more about timing. When I look at these indicators, the political, the economic, the foreign investment, and then also just the speed of internet acceleration is something that I think many people tend to underestimate, that once it takes off, it can really accelerate very dramatically. And in a country like Pakistan, the internet penetration has increased by, the number of internet users has increased by 20% just in the last 12 months. So it's really moving very, very fast. And there's another factor, which is, of course, in in our countries, there's been historically a pretty big gap between the high income segment of the the countries and then the relatively small middle class and, and the lower income segments. But what I'm seeing actually now is that COVID, I think this digitalization acceleration that COVID has spurred is actually helping to close that gap because many of these solutions that are being deployed, are really targeted at capturing the masses. They're not targeted at, at building high-end tech solutions for a small group of high-earning individuals. They're really targeted at, at solving daily challenges for normal people who are in a low or, or mid-income level. So with all these factors combined, I think the timing is right, for sure. And I've seen many ups and downs over the last six years, but I haven't seen this type of environment where there's so many indicators that are pointing towards a very strong acceleration.
1: Given the investment made by China from the One Belt, One Road initiative, how is the South Asia market transforming with the infrastructure buildup? Because that also forms part of your thesis of the viability of this new market as well, right?
0: Absolutely. So I think the, the One Belt One Road initiative is, it, of course, it's directly impacting our markets because our markets are part of the One Belt One One Road initiative. Almost all of our markets have some role to play and there's a lot of stuff happening on the ground. And that means, first and foremost, infrastructure upgrades. And, and a lot of this is just directly or indirectly helping us better roads, better railways, better airports, better power supplies, all this stuff that you need in order to operate a global supply chain. It also means a lot of foreign investment. So that's, that's really helping the, the growth and the stability of the markets. And then directly for us, it means because three of our five markets have land borders with China, it also means that there's a new potential for cross-border supply. And these new highways and railways that are directly connected to China from our markets, plus the fact that China is moving a lot of production from the eastern provinces to the southwestern provinces, because of the One Belt, One Road initiative to capitalize on this new land-based and sea-based infrastructure, it means that the production is coming very close to our borders and we actually have the infrastructure to import it directly. So for us, it means that we are rethinking our supply routes as well and yeah. make sure that we can bring the right products to the consumers. Of course fast, but you can also do that fast with planes, but you can do it a lot cheaper if the products are closer and you can use the land-based infrastructure. So for us, it's when I think about the RAS and what role can we play in the One Belt, Belt, One Road Initiative is really about enabling the economic growth potential and this cross-border supply chain, where I think we can play a very critical role. And that means that both indirectly, because a lot of our sellers are selling products to customers across the borders, but it also means that a lot of our sellers, they can source the products that they need faster as a B2B channel through the cross-border supply chain, and then they can sell it on their ass to the consumers. So it's really enabling the ecosystem, and I think we can actually play a pretty critical role to make the One Belt, One Road initiative very successful.
1: So given that the economy is thriving in the South Asia region, what are the key startups and investors that have emerged within the region itself?
0: It's really a range of different business models that are, that are taking off. And if I look at the biggest ones, it's been around B2B supply chain. It's been around fintech. It's been around developing payments businesses. All of these are enablers to the digital economy. So that's really great. But it's also been about specific verticals. So for example, EdTech, MedTech, Agritech. There's a lot of new verticals that are also taking off. So it's a pretty wide range of, I would say, business models that are starting to pop up. And it's also a huge credibility to the the talent that we see in our markets. A lot of these people are are coming from the RAS in some shape or form. And of course we don't like to lose our good people, but at the same time, it's it's fantastic to see when people, they spread their wings and they go and start their own business and, and become successful at it. So that's on the, I would say the business models that are emerging. But in terms of the investors, it's been primarily so far, it's been venture capital, but not just small seed rounds of one, two, three million dollars. Some of the rounds have been pretty significant, up to $80 million and attracted very wide set of venture capitalists from around the world. Also markets like, like the US, for example. There's a lot of investors that are coming in from the US into Pakistan and Bangladesh now. We haven't seen the big institutional investors yet, but I think there's plenty of opportunities and that will happen over the next couple of years. So it's a good time to be looking at these markets from an investment perspective.
1: Can you give some examples of startups and venture capital? that you can name in the region? Yeah,
0: I would go back to these examples that that I gave around. First and foremost on the business to business, that's a huge opportunity where we've seen a number of players set up their businesses and and attract quite significant capital to to have an efficient B2B supply chain. It's also been around the quick, just, you know, instant grocery deliveries and, and food deliveries. And then it's been around uh, financial products. So having, for example, buy now, pay later solutions, having seller credit, working capital financing solutions, and, and these types of business models, but also around, for example, pharmaceuticals, like having medicine delivered to your doorstep. Again, a big challenge in our markets is not so much about the actual delivery, but it's about verifying the authenticity. So how do you know that you're not buying fake medicine? So there's a lot of opportunity in in our markets to just really solve real problems for people in a much bigger way, actually, than sometimes e-commerce solves challenges in, in the more developed part of the world, where it's primarily about price and convenience. But we have an opportunity here to really solve a much bigger
1: variety of challenges on the ground. I have two questions, and that would conclude what we're going to have this conversation today. How has Dara's contributed to the South Asia tech ecosystem? And what are your thoughts on the future of the region as a whole?
0: It's easy to talk about how much capital has been invested and infrastructure that we have built. But if you ask me, the most important things that we have contributed with is primarily people and community. And on the people front, it's about education everything in the end comes down to education. And with our business, we have transferred a huge amount of knowledge to our markets from different parts of the world, not least from Alibaba and from China, and really trained people. And as I said, many of them have gone off and started their own ventures and become very successful at it. So I think bringing in this knowledge and expertise into the market and seeing it spread has been the most satisfying part of the journey. And it's not only about employees, it's also about sellers. Like We're teaching sellers how to operate an online business. And that's also been a big part of job creation and, and SME growth in our markets over the last couple of years. Uh, and then secondly, around the community to just make sure that we always stay true to our core purpose of uplifting communities through the power of commerce, remembering that in the end, if we don't improve people's lives, then we, our business model is not sustainable. So really always keeping that core purpose in mind to, to make sure that everything we do in the end is about improving people's lives. And if we are able to do that, then we all win, right? The, the markets, the communities win, but we also end up having a sustainable business in the long term and creating a lot of shareholder value. So I would say those are the two primary parts that I would highlight, people and community on our contribution. And with regards to... Your second question about the thoughts of the, the future of the region, uh, I, I just think, again, the, the stars are really aligned, that we have a, a market which is ready, we have the political stability, we have the right business environment, we have uh, a lot of foreign investment that is coming in, we have internet penetration, digitalization really taking off in a big way, accelerated by COVID and then when you combine that with with our market position of where we are today our knowledge of the market our very localized go to market approach our fantastic tech solutions and alibaba as a as a shareholder and as a as a knowledge base you know we have a, just a fantastic opportunity to be a catalyst for growth in the in the region and to drive the momentum so very very optimistic about the future i think it's an exciting time we have ahead of us
1: and I'm pretty sure I'll get you back to talk about more exciting times to the next time around. So, Yaka, many thanks for coming on the show. And in closing, I would not leave you out to at least answer these two key questions. Any recommendations that have inspired you recently?
0: In terms of books, I would mention two books that I've enjoyed reading re- recently. One is uh, Bob Iger's book, the previous CEO of Disney. It's called The Ride of a Lifetime. It's very easy reading. But it's just a great story. I really enjoyed it. uh, And it had some really good leadership and life lessons that I integrated. And the second one I would mention is a book, a very different book, it's called The Importance of Living, which is written by a Chinese philosopher who was living in New York in the 20s and 30s of the 19th century. So it's really talking about the Chinese culture and the Eastern culture compared to the Western culture, but before China went through its big industrial revolution. And it was just for me, working a lot with, with China, working a lot with South Asia and being originally from, from Europe. I think it was just a fantastic educational and inspiring book of just understanding the different cultures and what is actually driving these different cultures. So I, those are the two books I would recommend. Otherwise, I would say I listen a lot to Brené Brown on my Spotify podcast and then otherwise watch some Danish uh, dramas on Netflix. <laughs> They're really good, even if they don't have the, the English audio. So my last question, how do my audience find you? You can always reach out on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm very active.
1: So just drop me a message. And you can Google our podcast on Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on Twitter and every podcast platform out there. Of course, for Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and share your review of the podcast. Once again, Abiaka, many thanks for coming on the show. And I look forward to speak to you again sometime in the future. Thank you.
0: Ready,